we continue in our series of fruitfulness on the front line. And we're trying to reflect it in terms of our overall theme of the year, showing our Saviour. And today we're going to be thinking about moulding culture. Moulding culture. But you know, to get us kicked off this morning, here's something for you to think about together. Have a look at those pictures. I put the names underneath, just in case you weren't sure who they were. And tell me what you think connects them. What connects all of those people? And it wasn't that they did cover versions of Love Will Keep Us Together, like the Captain and Tennille. Anybody got any ideas? Well, I tell you, they were all, or they are all, vegetarians. Well, you're kidding, aren't you, Sean? No, I'm not, they were. And talking about uh, vegetarians, what connects all of these? And they're not just all my favourite Starburst uh, flavours either. Anybody? Yes. These are all fruits that don't ripen after you've picked them. No, Sean. Yes, it's true. I can see you're absolutely amazed. There we go. None of them ripens after picking. What about these? What connects hamster cuddles, grandma's refrigerator, dog's car, and baby's bottoms? And they're not all failed perfumes. Anybody? Anybody, I tell you. They're all paint colours. Hey? Hey, wouldn't you just love to go and paint your wool baby's bottom? (laughs) I don't want to go into what colour that might be, but there you go. Okay? What about this? What connects trapdoor barking, jumping, spitting and dwarf hunting? And it's certainly not a new modern pentathlon. Hey, got any ideas? I didn't. They're all spiders. They're all spiders. Incredible, isn't it? And what about this, bringing us to where we need to be this morning? What connects all of these things together? I hope you can recognize one of those pictures. The church, the home, the Red Lion, the House of Commons, the BBC. Got any ideas? What do you think it might be? Well, they all are a little bit like a well-out-of-date yogurt. They've all acquired a culture. There we are. They all have a culture. And that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. Because as Mark Green has made very well known to us, if you've read the book or you're reading the book, Fruitfulness on the Front Line, you know that what culture is, is what he's given us the definition of through Derek Warlock's interpretation, how we do things around here. This is what culture is. And there's all kinds of culture around us. There's all kinds of culture that we're involved in and we're a part of. You've got the youth culture. You've got, as we've heard this morning through that little story, you've got blame culture. You've got popular culture. You've got local culture. You've got corporate culture. You've got high culture. You've got foreign culture. I was listening on the way home from somewhere this week to uh, that Radio 4 panel show, Sorry I Don't Have a Clue. I don't know if you've ever heard that. And they were talking on the show about pensioner culture, which some of us may, you know, kind of recognise. And they thought it was best defined by song titles. 
So in pensioner culture, for instance, you might hear songs like, Speak up, little Susie. Or, Don't go breaking my hip. Or, Twist and gout. Or, Once, twice, three times a lady comes round to give me a bath. Or, my particular favourite, supercalifragilistic osteoporosis. Now... There's all kinds of culture. Culture that we live in, culture that we play in, culture that we pray in. And the call for us as believers in the Lord is not to escape the culture that we actually may encounter on our front lines, wherever they happen to be, whoever they happen to be with, but actually to engage with our culture so that we begin to shape it in a way that's going to bless and better it for the glory of God and for the good of those people in it, but not in a way that shapes us so that we become less of the influence, less of the impact, less of the person that God wants us to be on it as we seek to show our Saviour. And quite often, as Kevin gave us the verse earlier from Romans 12 too, quite often to do that, to show our Saviour, to be fruitful on our front line in all the different cultures that we confront day in and day out, we may have to stand positively in contrast to the world around us because Paul tells us we're not to be squeezed into this world's mould. We're not to be conformed to its image, but rather we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We start to think as God wants us to think, And as a consequence of thinking as God wants us to think, we start to live as God wants us to live in order that we're able to test and approve what God's good, pleasing and perfect will is for each and every one of us. So if we're in a culture and the current is taking us away from being able to better that culture or promote good in that culture or to keep us in line with God's will and priority for us in that culture or is harming us in terms of the godly character that we need to show in that culture, then we need to kind of be careful with how we handle it. For as Jesus said, in this world, you are to be salt and you are to be light. That on our front lines, what are we going to do? We're not going to escape culture. We're going to engage culture. And we're going to preserve the best that we see. We're going to flavor the bad. And we're going to make visible to people what at present they cannot. Because they haven't got the eyes of faith. They cannot yet see. That's what we're to be about. Now, not all of us are going to have a massive impact on culture, Not the kind of big impact that, say, the Duchess of Cambridge has on fashion. I mean, she's only got to wear something once and, wow, you know, it can change a lot of people's uh, shopping habits. But all of us can make a small difference on our front lines if we stay true to the values and beliefs that showing our saviour requires that we know and we live. So we're thinking about molding culture. How we're going to mold culture. And thank God that the Bible itself is like a wonderful photo album. It gives us some beautiful, lovely pictures of how it's possible for us to be molding the cultures 
around and about us. So I just want to pick up on one very briefly this morning. We've had the story read to us. It's the story of Daniel. And in the story of Daniel, as it's given to us there in chapter 1, I just want to focus on three words. The first word is frightful. The second word is faithful. And the third word, which I'm sure that you will know by now, is fruitful. So let's try and pick up on that together a little bit and think about the word frightful. Now, I use the word frightful because, not because I want to spend the next ten minutes you know, just kind of slamming sin and condemning everything that's wrong in the culture and the world around us. You know, we're preachers of grace. You know, honestly, you know, you haven't got to look far to know what's wrong in the world. You know, but Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn the world. He came into this world to save the world through him. Amen? You know, so we're not here to kind of uh, batter kind of people's behavior and beliefs. But I use the word frightful because I think it helps us better understand the pressure that's lived under by Daniel and his three friends here in being taken out of the culture that they were so at home in and placed in another culture that was completely alien to them. And perhaps the little phrase that we're given here in the Bible, in verse 2 of Daniel 1, carried off, perhaps is a great summary to us of what is taking place. Because like the artifacts that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, Daniel was taken too by Nebuchadnezzar and back to Babylon, a city that was a thousand miles from where he was at Home, And you can imagine the kind of pressure that that would have put Daniel under. Can you imagine somebody coming into your home and taking off your teenage son or your teenage daughter, just taking them away from where you've known them and loved them and taught them and trained them, and then they go over to Babylon, which is opposed to everything that your city and your heart has been about. Can you imagine how frightful that must have been? It could be a little bit like that for some of us going to work. can feel that alien to us in the environment in which we work, that it can be a pressure. can feel a little bit like that to some of us, you know, in the social groups that we belong to, because actually we're more there by connection than by choice. It's who we go with. And we can feel a little bit out of place and out of touch. Well, that's the experience of every Christian in this world. Remember our studies when I first came here in 1 Peter? That actually as people who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to this world we are what? We are aliens and strangers. And it's got nothing to do with the way we look. (laughs) It's just the way we are. We're in a foreign culture. We're in a foreign land. Every Christian's got two passports. One of those passports connects us to the world in which we live and one day it's going to expire. When the Lord Jesus comes again, we won't need it because in his kingdom, amen, there's one Lord, there's one people, there's no nationalities. We're all in Christ together. But through faith in Jesus Christ, we've got another passport because we're citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. So we need to reflect heaven's values in the world and in the culture and among the people that we know, and to mould it for God's glory and for people's good. But it is a pressure, isn't it? You know, I was thinking about the change of location that is here for, uh, for Daniel. What a pressure that put him under. 
You know, just a teenager, one of the cream of the crop of Israel's best, and he's taken from his home. Wow, that's a, that's a big change, isn't it? Growing up under the influence of godly parents, and now he's in the court of pagan officials. And the location can be a pressure, can't it? A pressure to fall back from what we stand for. To compromise with what we believe. Because sometimes in the anonymity of our situation, we can be more tempted to do that which wipes our testimony clear. You ever discovered that? We get on a plane or we get on a train and we go somewhere where nobody now knows us. We've got no reputation to uphold. And the pressure comes upon us to simply be the chameleon in the society or among the people that we're now in. Happens, can't it? You know what a chameleon does. We've told you before. <laughs> chameleon, whatever colour you put it on as a background, it turns that colour, doesn't it? Put it on yellow, it goes yellow, doesn't it? Put it on red, it goes red. Put it on tartan, it has a nervous breakdown. Don't know what colour to turn, does it? But that change of location must have been very, very difficult for Daniel because in the freedom that he now had where nobody knew him and the liberty to do whatever he wanted, it's going to be a real test of his faith, as was the change of education. He's no longer under tutelage of those that believe God's word. Now he's in a society that wants to teach him all the literature and all the language of the Babylonians. That's a pressure, isn't it? That's all I'm saying this for, because it's so frightful. It is a pressure, and it's not just Daniel that lived under it. We all live under it to that degree, don't we? That you pick up a paper, you watch a television program, you sit in a classroom... You know, and most of what you're hearing and most of what you're seeing does not correspond to the truth and the heart of God's word. It's a pressure. The pressure is there to compromise, to step down on what God says and take to heart what other people are saying. After all, they're a professional, aren't they? They're a professor. They know what they're talking about, do they? Well, we'll always come to that point, folks. And it's frightful. But we always come to that point of what I like to call an authority crisis. Who are we going to believe? God or the government? What God's word says or what our textbook declares? God will always bring us to that point where our faith is going to be tested and the pressure of location, the pressure of education and also the pressure of identification is not going to make it easy for us to be people who are moulding our culture but will make it easier for us to be people who are moulded by our culture. They just kind of blend in and tune out from what God says. Not easy, is it? I think it's incredible that when you look at the change in identification, Daniel was given a new name, wasn't he? (laughs) He was given a new name. No longer Danny L., God is my judge, but Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, I look to Baal for my life. There's a change in his name, a change in his identification. He didn't even have to live up to his name, now it was taken from him. The shackles were off, the opportunities were there. What was he going to do? This was 
frightful. You say, well, it was only a little thing. It was only a change of location. Well, I think it's pretty big. Only a change of education, textbook, new curriculum, identification. But so often it's in the little things that big differences are made. Isn't it? I think so. (laughs) Have you ever played the game of taking just one letter away from well-known film or book titles? Did you ever play that when you were at school? Some of you. (laughs) We used to do that. But can you imagine anybody wanting to go out and watch the film or read the book Zorba the Geek? Only one letter missing. Big difference. Who'd want to watch the film Who Framed Roger Rabbi? (laughs) Or It's a Wonderful Lie? Or The Da Vinci Cod? Or Oliver Twit? Or Beef Encounter? You know, there's just one letter missing and the whole thrust is completely turned around. And the pressure that Daniel was under may not appear at one level to be huge, but the difference it made, drip by drip, one thing at a time, one lesson at a time, one meal, as we'll see, at a time, could have the impact of lessening his ability to mould his culture and become more assimilated in his culture so that at the end of the day... All he had left was the name of Jew, but it didn't stand for anything. It's a pressure, and that's why I think it's frightful. But, you know, if we move on, we can see that though it was a frightful pressure that Daniel lived under, thank God he was faithful in terms of the promise that he lived with. He didn't stand down for what he believed. He stood up for it. He had the heart to be true to God no matter what happened. And I think that verse perhaps sums it up. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Now why did he draw the line there? You know, there was no real protest that we read about having been moved from Jerusalem to Babylon. He didn't put up a a kind of protest either when his name was changed. But now, in being offered the food of the royal court, he says, enough's enough. He, he He draws a line in his life and he says... I'm going to go that far, but no further. Now, of course, if you read the commentaries on this, and you can read a thousand commentaries, you know, people will tell you, you know, rightfully so, that the reason he didn't want to eat the royal food was because, of course, first it had been offered as a sacrifice to pagan gods, or that it contravened the Jewish dietary laws. And, of course, there's a measure of truth in that. But I think there's also some real truth in understanding that without that line that he was prepared to draw in his own life, Daniel knew that he would be assimilated into the culture and become totally ineffective in wanting to mould it for God's glory through his life and testimony. That every time a meal was served, he had the opportunity to remind himself, I'm here on God's business for God's glory with God's purpose in mind. But he drew that line because he was a man convicted of that particular truth. And we've got to have conviction in what we believe. I I don't want us to be a culture in church of people that protest. I think it's a great sadness to me 
that so often people imagine believers in Jesus Christ simply to be known by what they stand against. You know, I find that heartbreaking. We need to be a people to stand up for what we believe God would have us for. You know, not every issue in our frontline cultures is a no-surrender issue, is it? Can we not give up the right once in a while to be offended? You know, we live in a culture where nobody's to be offended. You know, nobody seems to worry too much about that when it comes to the name of our Lord, do they? But, you know, we don't want to be offended, you know, for the wrong reasons, do we? We want to be a people that are positive in the way that we have a heart and a desire and ambition to show our Savior and to be molding culture. And we've got to be convicted about that. And there's going to be a line at which point we're not going to cross. And it's not a matter of being right and wrong. It's a matter simply of knowing that for us, if I step beyond this line, I am simply going to put myself in the position where the culture has me. And I'm a prisoner to the culture, whereby I'm no longer free to mould that culture in the likeness of Jesus Christ. We had a great example of that this week, and I don't know whether you saw it, but it's been on the news this week, Dan Walker, the football focus presenter, who's now going to take on at the end of this month the job three days a week of presenting breakfast time television on the BBC. Now Dan Walker is the son of a Baptist minister. That doesn't make him good, by the way, (laughs) as my son will testify. But he is a man who has drawn a line. And he told the BBC when he first went to work with them, I'm not going to work on Sunday. I'm not going to work on Sunday. It's not he was making a judgment on anybody else's life. He wasn't being a legalist. This is the way to impress God. He drew a line. He said, this is the food that I'm not going to eat. Because if I step over this line, I'm going to be assimilated into culture and I'm not going to have the opportunity to impress the likeness of Christ upon the culture. And he said this beautiful thing, and I I wrote it down and put it up here. He said, I don't get anyone in a spiritual headlock. I don't turn into a weird pumpkin at one past midnight on a Sunday morning. I just enjoy spending my Sundays with my family at church with my friends. And then he translates that a little bit into language that the world can understand. He says, I want to live in a world where Gary Lineker can present Match of the Day, even though he's a Leicester City fan. John Humphreys can do Radio 4, even though he's an atheist. I'm simply being the person that I am. And I've drawn that line because I'm convicted that if I was to cross that line, I'm not going to be able to mould culture. I've simply surrendered to my culture, moulding me. Now your line may be different, but we've got to have a line there somewhere that says this far and no further so that we can work God's good in the cultures that we belong to. And why do we do it? Why do we do it? Because if we've got conviction, we're resolved to do it. What happens? We have character. We show our character. Daniel didn't mind going to their schools because he knew what he believed. He didn't mind having his name changed because he knew who he was. But when it came to this food, he drew the line at the king's meat and the king's wine because he was convicted that his character could not flourish if he stepped over it. And the choices that we make reveal the character that we are. Who you are today 
was determined by the choices you made yesterday. And who you will be tomorrow be determined by the choices that you make today. Are we going to stay faithful to the Lord or not? We want to flourish in our cultures or not? The heart of our character is the character of our heart. And somebody said there is a choice that we have to make in everything that we do. And we must always keep in mind that the choice we make makes us. And that takes a bit of courage too, doesn't it? It takes a bit of courage to stand on the line that you've drawn and to go no further because it may cost you. Could have cost Daniel his life. If at the end of this 10-day trial that he managed to secure through the uh, court official, he looked weak and weedy on just eating vegetables, could have cost him his life, and it could have cost the court official's life too. It took a bit of courage. But Daniel was prepared as a young boy, remember he's only a teenager now, prepared even at that early stage in his life to draw that line and say this far and no further, whatever the cost, because if I give in at this point, as I grow to be a man, I'm going to give in at many other points. And eventually when he did grow to be a man and when he was in his 70s, we sometimes think of Daniel as a little boy going into the lion's den. He was in his 70s. And you know why he went into the lion's den? Because he would not bow to the edict of the then King Darius who'd ascended to the throne that you should not pray. And Daniel was a man who prayed three times. You know the song, don't you? Some of you. Now the point is this, if he'd have crossed the line in a little thing when he was a teenager, he'd have never been able to go into the lion's den, believing God as a man. When we are faithful in that which is little, the principle of scripture is quite clear. God will enable us to be trusted with that which is much. And some of us are so ineffective on our front lines... So lacking what we'd love to see on our front lines. So unable to mold culture on our front lines for the glory of God and for the good of those cultures. Simply because we've never drawn a line. Nobody knows what we stand for. Nobody knows who we are. And nobody listens to us as a consequence of it. But you know, can I just say this? And we're nearly through. We're nearly through. And I think it's worth saying... That, and it can be missed, that the way that Daniel went about it with his conviction, with his character, and with his courage, was, was very courteously. Because he asked permission. I like that, don't you? I think some of us will get a lot further, you know, in the cultures that we struggle with, that are like Daniel's, that sometimes are just totally hostile to us. We get a lot further with them if we were more respectful of them. More pleasant in them more polite as we work through the issues that we confront in them. Don't you think so? Does it hurt us to be courteous? Daniel must have grown up in a home where his parents taught him his P and Q's, his pleases and his thank yous. And so did you, didn't you? Took a few kicks under the table to get it in your head, didn't it? But you got it there, didn't you? And as Christians, we need to be polite. We need to be courteous. Our boss will still be our boss. Our coach will still be our coach. Our parents will still be our parents. Our teachers will still be our teachers. Our neighbors will still be our neighbors. No matter what we believe, no matter how they behave, 
no matter the hurdle they are to get over. But I tell you to be respectful to them in knowing that, I think will help to mould a better culture and help to show our Saviour in a much better way. One other thing and we're through, and uh, it wouldn't be a talk if we didn't get to this point of it, because it's a centre of all that we're working through and we're working on. We've got to be fruitful. Daniel was in a frightful culture. The pressure was enormous, and that's what he lived under, but he lived with the promise of being faithful. He, he drew that line that he wouldn't cross. And therefore, as a consequence, he became fruitful. And sometimes I, I say this, I've told you before, but, you know, because I'm a golfer, and I've seen plenty of people start to try to learn to play golf, and the secret to playing golf is, is really quite easy, is that you've got to hit the small ball before you hit the big ball. The small ball is white, the big ball is the earth. <laughs> now, if you hit the big ball before you hit the small ball... You know, golf is not going to be an easy game to play. And I've seen people stand on the tee trying to hit the small ball and just hitting the big ball. And all the time, of course, it was the club's fault. All the time, of course, it was the conditions. All the time it was the people behind that were laughing and whispering and not giving the person the respect. You know, but actually it wasn't all of that. We can all blame our circumstances. We can all blame our cultures and our situations and our churches for who we are, what's happened to us. No, the point is that if you're going to hit the small ball and not the big ball, what you've got to do in golf is very simple. You've just got to change your stance. It's not rocket science, otherwise I couldn't play the game. You just change your stance. And when your stance is one that's going to give you that conviction and character and courage and courtesy, you're going to come to the place where you begin to hit the ball right out of the park and you become fruitful in a way that you might never have expected to see on your front line, in your place at work, for the ministry that God has given you in church, in your homes as you parent your children, in your social clubs, wherever it is. We are to be fruitful. That's the whole point of what we've been thinking about. And there, right at the end of the chapter, we're told Daniel remained there. And I love that little phrase. Because it's basically saying, and we haven't got the time to go into all of it, he came through the testing of his faith. He remained there. He stayed true to the promise of his calling. He remained there. He had the influence of moulding culture because he remained there. It's all there in Daniel. And as a consequence, you see the abilities that God gave him, the impact that God allowed him, the encouragement that he brought to others through him. He had three friends who were uplifted and strengthened in their own faith because of what they saw Daniel doing in drawing that line. That's why we need to be a blessing in our church life. You know, the greatest single reason... Why in 70 years' time, God's people still existed as an entity in Babylon, that, that alien culture. 70 years they were there, 70 years, and the reason they remained the people of God in that situation was primarily through Daniel, molding culture, influencing lives, impacting situations. Isn't that marvellous? You say, well, it's too big for me, Sean. Well, listen, the little things count. The little things count. I'll draw it to a close here with a little personal story. 
Because some of us think, oh, you know, well, Daniel, he's well out of my league. You know, we, we all can think that. But he started small. It was just food. I remember, and I told you once before, not this story, but I told you that when my son, I think he was 12 or 13, I can't remember, Kath, I took him on a tour to Holland and Germany, a football tour. And he was part of a team that was uh, very gifted and doing very well, and he was invited to go on this tour. And it was one of the most disturbing tours for me as a parent, one of the most troubling tours that I've ever been on because there was so much angst and anxiety and grumbling and complaining among all the parents in that particular tour. And the hassle was caused because there were a number of people going out who weren't getting a game. And you can imagine, can't you, parents who paid a lot of money to get their kids to go on the tour were there with them and their boy was not getting a game. So the manager came to me and said, now, Sean, would you be happy to ask your son to step down for a game in order for somebody else to have an opportunity? Would he be happy with that? I said, of course he would be happy with that. Was he happy with that? No, of course he wasn't happy with that. (laughs) Of course he wasn't, you know. But he did it because he respected me and I tried to share with him why it was happening. And he understood that. He never even got changed into his kit for this one particular game. And the team that had not lost up to that point got stuffed. So that when he was put back in the team the next time, nobody whinged or complained because they knew who the better team was. But it brought a whole rest and a whole peace and a whole new attitude to the culture of that football tour because one or two people, my son included, were prepared to step down to create that better atmosphere. That's moulding culture, isn't it? At a very small scale. But better to start small and aim for the stars. Amen? Amen? Oh, it was frightful for Daniel, but he stayed faithful, and therefore God brought him through, and you can read his story and see just how fruitful he was in the gifting, the visions he could interpret, all the help and the hope that he brought. And if for Daniel, why not for you and for me? You say, it's hopeless, sure. No, it's not. I say this to you parents. I say this to you young people's leaders. I say this to you house group leaders and the like. You sometimes feel that you're making no impression, you're getting nowhere, and the people that you're trying to teach have got to go into a world. It's a different location, different education, different identification, and you think it's hopeless, they're never going to stand up to it. Listen. Read through that second verse in Daniel. Understand that the only reason the people were in exile is because God had carried them off there. Not Nebuchadnezzar. He was God's means to get him there. God had carried him off there. And your child in the school is going to hear a lot of things that you don't want them to hear. Your friends in your workplace are going to take part in a lot of things that you can't take place in. And you think, I'm never going to stand lost. If God can keep a Daniel in Babylon, he can keep your child at school. He can keep you in your workplace. He can keep you faithful in your church. Amen. Frightful, faithful, fruitful. Can I just tell you this week, please, go out and multiply. (laughs) Go out and mold culture for the glory of God and for the good of those that you work and play with. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Daniel. Help us, as the song says, to dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. If that's what it takes. But we're not alone. 
We do everything in you and we do everything as a fellowship, confident that we do more together than we do individually. So bind us in your love this Valentine's Day. Unite us in our ambition. That, Lord, not through force, not through enslavery, but through love and encouragement, good example, respect and courtesy, we can change the culture of our home. We can change the culture of our workplace, of our school. Please, God, even of our church, that we might live more honourable to you. And thank you for the promise that you said, they that honour you, you will honour them. Thank you, Lord. Whatever the frightfulness of our culture, keep us faithful. Allow us to be fruitful. Not because we want books written about us, but we want people to come to know you. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.